And we're off rusty here. Jeff Webster, live from Fiji, uh, in a Fiji painted room. I'm enjoying the colours in the room. How are you, mate? You well? Good. Early morning here, Rusty, and um, happy to talk, but doing well. Nice, good. And, and late-ish evening here, UK coaching conference tomorrow. No session plan whatsoever. Barbecue about to happen. So, uh, mate, I'm really appreciate. I've been really looking forward to this for any number of reasons. And and to be honest, after our pre-conversation around your experiences of, of being a, a, a dad um, and surviving some of the uh, the troubles of uh, junior rugby, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably even more excited if that's uh, possible. So do you want to give everyone a bit of a potted history of, of, of how you ended up in that room sat in Fiji? I can. I, I'll, I'll try and be brief. So I, I grew up on the northern beaches of Sydney. I'm a um, curl curl boy. Um, my family, I was the eldest of five. My family moved to, with my dad's job, to uh, the UK when I was 12. So we ended up settling in Maidenhead. Um, and I'd never played rugby before. So I signed up, we, I signed up at Desborough College. Uh, and they asked me if I played. And I said, no, but I played league, which was totally bull. Um, I played soccer the whole time. And so they threw me in. I played my first game. I, I was in the second row. I got penalised in the first scrum for hands in the scrum to rake the ball back. I thought, what the hell? I had a crack. So, and I got absolutely blasted for it. And I thought, and at the end of the game, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So um, we had a couple of years there. I, I started playing. So I was playing school on Saturday, club on Sunday down at Maidenhead. Um, 50p pints of shandy after the game on a Sunday at... I don't know whether that's legitimate or not, but that's what we were doing. And I just loved it. Loved the contest. Loved the, the um, esprit de corps with my mates at school and club. Um, the, the, the fine balance in rugby between simplicity and complexity. Um, and I, it was a great two years. Probably the best two years of my life from a sporting perspective. I was playing cricket on grass. It was amazing. I mean, you'd never get that in, in Australia ever. You'd play on concrete pitches, um, playing hockey, rugby, snooker. Um, at home. I mean, it was just a, a fantastic experience. It really opened my eyes to what was possible and I, I, I loved it. Um, my old man had said that if there were any school trips on, he, it's to say yes to everything. He would, he would approve everything because he knew it was a finite period over there that we may never get back over there, which has proven to be totally incorrect. But um, it was a greater attitude to life to say, like, just to get, get amongst it. So I came back um, ended up playing first 15 at my school in year 11. And at the start of year 12, we were playing a, a, a trial against a big private school that had an all-Australian schoolboy school back row. And we were getting absolutely hammered. Um, and I was playing number eight. And I took the ball. The only good scrum we had all day, I took the ball off the back and I got poleaxed um, so badly that I actually busted my neck. Um, they had to stop the game. I, I had to go to hospital in intensive care. Um, and the doctor pulled me aside and said, well, uh, I said, am I, am I going to be right for the first game in a couple of weeks? He said, you're not playing ever again. And um, I went, right. So I don't think that really hit me. I mean, I was in my final year of school, so I had exams to fo focus on. But it, it, um, I'm not sure I actually truly accepted it for about four or five years. I, I kept going back to, the, uh, to a different neurosurgeon every year to try and get approval to play and no one would give it to me i finally ended up getting it but the horse had bolted so badly that um i'd, I'd gotten into coaching and had started to do really well but the only thing i didn't actually i didn't break anything but um it was that bad that um my neck got into such a bad position he said if i hadn't have been a competitive swimmer 
and a surf swimmer that I would have died on the spot because my neck just, I mean, my, my spine just would have, would have snapped. Um, so I was, in hindsight, I was actually really blessed um, to, to, to get through that. And it was a bit of a sliding door moment for me because couldn't play. I wanted to channel my, my energy and passion for rugby. I had a, my next brother down had just started high school. The team he was in needed a coach. I pitched in and started doing it. The following year, his club side that had been perennial unachievers, uh, poorly coached, they were chock full of talent. And I, I thought, I'll put my hand up and do it. And started coaching that team and did that all the way through. Um, three or four of those players ended up playing Australian 16s, Australian 18s, Australian 20s. So I had a really good experience with them. I mean, it was much more driven by their talent than my ability, but it certainly fueled my love for coaching and drove me into it. Um, and then I was on the pathway, Rusty. I, I did third grade Colts, first grade Colts, fourth grade, third grade um, at grade level. And that was when the club system was very, very strong in Sydney. And it was, it was good, hard football um, at that stage. And it was a good um, apprenticeship for me as a coach. <clears throat> um, I then went off and did a season in the Portuguese National Championship. Um, came back, coached the club again. Um, then I, I was offered, I won a lower grade premiership. I, I, and then there was a guy who's a bit of a legend in Australian rugby coaching circles called Brian O'Shea, Box O'Shea. Um, he's like one of the, the godfathers of Australian rugby coaching. And he, um, he was running a program through the Australian Institute of Sport. Um, and they had a coaching scholarship um, role that was linked into the AIS. Uh, the Australian Institute of Sport and uh, for an elite coach development program. And, and he asked me to apply for that, which I, I went in and did. And, and, and that, was, that was effectively the Australian Under-21 Rugby Program. And the reason I, I mentioned that, which is topical for many of your listeners, is that the guy, the previous coach on scholarship to me was Scott Wisemantle. Um, the, guy before him, the guy before him was Andy Friend, who's now at Connaught. Yeah. So... I mean, I, for me, I, I got the golden ticket. That was my golden ticket. I thought, here we go, right? This is like, I'm on the track now. And um, I was working, I was in Brisbane wisely, was with um, Speed Kennedy in Sydney. I was working with a guy, great guy, uh, English guy called Jeff Richards, who ended up playing in the, um, I think the 1970s, in the 70s for the Wallabies. He was a, a great man. And, um, and we effectively, collectively, um, were managing the Australian Under-21 program all, all through the year. And it was fantastic. I mean... Uh, Elton Flatley, Phil Ward, George Smith, Nathan Sharp. I mean, all that was a halcyon period for Australian rugby development at that point because not only were we pumping through great players through that program, but Rod McQueen, I mean, this was just at the time that Rod McQueen was, had picked up the Brumbies and was doing great things there. So um, there was a generation of, of, of kids that came through um, at that time um, that, that didn't actually know what it was like to lose to the All Blacks. Um, and, and so it was, it was an amazing experience. I mean, I was dealing with, I'd go down and they'd have, they'd have clinics at the AIS and all of the other coaches that were on scholarship, netball, table tennis, basketball, track and field. There was an English guy called Eric Collingsworth. He was a decathlete with um, Daly Thompson. He was the track and field coach on scholarship. I mean, the, the, the ability to sort of feed off each other in camps was amazing. And I, I'm still good mates with many of those guys. So, um, so that was good. Um, and then, and then I moved on. I, I went back to my old club as general manager. I, I then went to Malone. I coached Malone in the All-Ireland League um, in 2000. Um, and then I came back and I, was, uh, I coached first grade at Gordon. I was the youngest, um, I, at that stage, the youngest ever first grade coach in, 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 um, in Australian club rugby, certainly Sydney club rugby. Um, 
and we had a tough year and, and it was a bit of a lesson for me. I mean, they wanted a, a lot of cultural change and I tried to do it. And at the end of it, um, the main sponsor, who was the former first grade coach and Waratahs coach, um, said, if he's still coaching next year, I'm not sponsoring. <laughs> and so they made, it was a pretty easy decision. I, did, I made it easier for them because our results hadn't been great. And um, so I got sacked. And here, there I was at, at the age of <clears throat> 32, having thinking, thought that coaching was going to be my life. Um, and I had, a, I had a choice to make. And I thought I was going to go back overseas. And a mate of mine was running a commercial business called The Athlete's Foot, sort of like your JD Sports. Um, he said, I've got a couple of months work for you. Um, before you go back overseas and that that couple of months turned into 14 years so i ended up having a 14 year commercial career there um ended up running that business um was a director of it did really well um but in terms of coaching i was doing not much i kept all of my accreditation but i probably felt like I'd, i mean maybe in hindsight i'd burned out a little bit i'd lost a little bit of love for it um i reflect back and the most time the most fun i've ever had coaching was when i didn't get paid for it um, in hindsight. So I think that was a bit of a lesson for me. <clears throat> um, and then I, I finished up, I had six months off just to spend with my kids and, and um, I, I, a, a mate of mine who I, I knew from World Rugby um, rang me up and said, listen, I've got it. there's a gig going at Fiji. I think your combination of coaching, high performance and commercial would be a good fit. And so I ended up getting the, I'm, here I am. I'm now the general manager of rugby at Fiji Rugby Union. I'm two and a half years in. Uh, I've, I've well and truly broken the record for guys who have stayed this long. I don't know whether that's because I'm stupid or stubborn or a combination of the both. But so, yeah, so I'm, I'm here. I'm responsible for high performance, um, all of the national teams, the development for operations. So it's a, it's a big gig. Um, I love the job, but it's very, very challenging. And... Um, that's how you and I have come to pass. And you are the man who has longer lists than me. So your combination <laughs> of coaching, high performance, and also the development stuff on the commercial has led to you being a, well, I, might, I, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think you're probably going to need six months off on you after the World Cup. Possibly. You if I'm off contract, I could be I could be your next Uber driver when you're in when you're next in Sydney. But um, who knows where the world will take me? Uh, just put, so a couple of things, um, and I love the fact that you enjoyed snooker. Well done, such an old sport. I was also trying to work out your age during that whole conversation because you would, and then you said, "Oh, and then I was coaching this at this age." So, uh, what year were you born? Uh, November '69. '69. I was. I thought it was either '69 70, So you were born the year that man landed on the moon. You've done, you must have had an easy paper round in a, in a footlocker, that's all I'm saying. Um, yeah. uh, why were you sacked at 32? What was, why was it, you know, what, what, what didn't you know when you went into the first grade stuff? Oh, look, I, I would have liked much more uh, experience managing players and relationships with directors than I did then. I was probably a bit brash, maybe. I mean, I, like, <clears throat> there's a fine line, I think, between sort of confidence. I mean, as you, you discussed with other, other guys on the podcast, between confidence and arrogance, um, between passion and intensity and, and brashness. And, and, and I was certainly not the finished article. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, then, I don't, I don't think any coach should be considered a finished article, but I feel like I could go back now and coach a first-grade team, having not coached 
really hard on the grass for 14 years and I'd, I'd be a much better coach now than I would be then. Um, I think that I, I, yeah, I probably didn't do a good enough job of managing the politics of the relationship with the former coach. He was a former Waratahs coach and had been a successful club coach, but the club's remit to me was that that way's gone. I mean, the club, the game's gone professional now. Um, we need you to take us in the direction that you've, um, your, your pedigree has been in. <coughs> Pardon me. And, um, um, and maybe I, I probably didn't, I hadn't skinned my knees enough previously to know that maybe I was going down a path and I needed to bring a few, a few other people with me. Uh, I mean, the, st- the, the coaching staff and the playing group were amazing um, at the end of it. Um, they, they were holding meetings and trying to force the club to, to change their mind. But, the, you know, the die was cast and, um, you know, I, I found it quite disappointing. But, but, um, and, and it really was a bit of a, a, a gut punch. I would say. I mean, I really thought that I'd have a few years to have a crack, and and it probably opened my eyes to to professional coaching a little bit. That it's like a contract, a three a three year contract. You say, oh, I don't think so. You know, I mean, you're gone. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Support you then. So, um, well, I'm definitely keen to go back to some of the stuff around the AIS and the sharing. I mean, once you were into a first grade environment, what? What did your coaching support look like? So, who was your coach developer? Oh, yeah, we we learning on the job. Now, I had a ironically, this guy's former assistant coach was a guy by the name of Dougal Clark, who was a lovely, lovely man. Um, he was a really good mentor and friend to me through that year, and um, helped try to help me navigate through that. Um, and he's an outstanding backs coach. Um, I learned a huge amount off him, um, and. And I'm not sure if I ever told him, to be frank. I, I, I think I did, but I, I, still, I still feel like I owe him a, a debt of gratitude. Um, I had two assistant coaches who had both... I mean, Matt Dixon had played for the Waratahs. I had a stint, I think, a long stint professionally with maybe Richmond, I think, when, he was, when, that, when they were still in the main league over there. And Brett O'Neill, who were former, former great players of the club. So I feel like I, I'd... <clears throat> technically, I, I think um, we were ready. I'm not sure at that stage... I, I, I wonder whether I was trying to um, – what I was trying to do was probably a bit advanced maybe for, for the playing group. Um, you know, I was coming out of that – out of an environment where I knew where that was suitable and applicable, but maybe it was too early. And, and because I, I was not experienced enough um, in a system for a number of years, because um, I jumped around a little bit, I, I didn't – I wasn't able to plot the course at a satisfactory pace to, to, maybe to, to have success along the way. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, and, and I guess lots of those experiences will probably be helping you now because you're definitely part of a system, albeit not a big system, but certainly within Fiji rugby and all the strands of it and the hierarchies and the people you have to deal with in world rugby. And obviously you're currently preparing for a World Cup. Um, I'd imagine those lists, lots of them are just about how you're managing and supporting people. It, <clears throat> pardon me. It is. Um, in fact, I, I would say that the one, my, my time in the retail business was very, very helpful. I, I, firstly, my coaching experience was very helpful in how, I, how successful I was commercially because it's all about performance and hitting numbers and working with teams and driving um, achievement. <clears throat> um, one thing I learned... Because the business itself was a, was a franchised business, 
So, you know, it wasn't about command and control. You had to, these were ind independent business owners under a, under a banner. And I learned, I had to learn, I had the time to learn, and I was given the ability to make mistakes. Um, but you learn how to influence people. And <clears throat> I, that, that's probably the one thing I took out of my commercial career that I've now been able to apply here is that stakeholder management, I'm much, much better at doing that now, I think. I'm not perfect, um, but I can tell you I've, I've used those, those skills like every single day that I've been in Fiji. <laughs> so, uh, because you just, you know, sometimes you just got to, you've got to navigate a path and, and everyone's an individual. Um, everyone's got their own motivation for doing what they do and you've got to try and work out to, to tap into that. Um, so, uh, yeah. If only I knew what I knew now when I was 25, mate. I um, mean, that's always the way. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if uh, you'd have to have some pretty significant experiences pretty early on to, to do that, I would, I would suspect. Uh, and and so the, the glory days of the AIS, I mean, what, you know, what, you, what have you taken from there? What have you learned from there and brought into the rest of your life? And... Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they're having a bit of a renaissance now. The twenties did pretty well at the last, at the Junior World Cup recently. Uh, seems to be some stuff starting to happen. So I don't know whether they're, you know, some of the stuff you're about to talk about, they're starting to do better again. But what was the stuff you took from that? Um, it was that that, that period because my brother had, had played two years of under twenty ones under the same coach. So I, I sort of felt like I had a bit of exposure over time to that, albeit arm's length early on. Um, the head coach at that time, Brian O'Shea, was a good a good coach. He was really passionate, a bit old school, but um, he was an old dog that wanted to learn new tricks. Um, and, and I think for me, the whole basis of that program was that um, they were, yeah, how can we get better every day, and how can we get our players better every day? And they were unrelenting about that, not just in the rugby program, but at the AIS. I mean, the AIS was set up um, just as an aside. I mean. Um, after the, there was a debacle, I think it was like the 76 or 80 Olympics. It was an absolute, Australia's performance was appalling. And the government just said, we're never doing this again. So they set the AIS up as, um, and, and it was for many, many years, um, it would have been arguably the best in the world um, in an environment that was not drug enhanced <laughs> in, in the Eastern, in the Eastern Bloc. Um, and so the facilities were fantastic. I mean, there was a real collegial um it was a very collegial atmosphere where all sports were trying to help each other. So as, as I mentioned, like rugby would work with soccer, would work with basketball. And, um, and it was all based on um, how can, as coaches, can we take and draw lessons to apply to our own, to our own sports. Um, within that AIS, within the rugby program, um, Speed Kennedy was a great leader. He was a, a, an old school, a very old school sort of mentality. Um, he's, a, he's a homicide detective had played for Randwick with Eddie Jones, I, I think, had captained Randwick when they were the, you know, clearly the number one club team probably in the world. Um, and and he, he I, I respect him. He was a hard man and he had high standards. And so players, you know, if players wore caps, they had to wear them the right way around. Um, no sunglasses inside. I mean, it was, I mean, now, I think the generation now would freak out about that. But it was, I mean, I really quite enjoyed that. And, and I think that there's, there's still a place for in life lessons for that kind of leadership um, where, where, where you turn boys into men. Um, and it, it, yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, I, I think we knew that program knew where its place was in the pathway as well, that our job was 
to create wallabies and not just wallabies to go out and just play, but winning wallabies where, as I mentioned before, yeah, there were a number of those guys that, that didn't, didn't lose, had never lost to New Zealand ever. I mean, now the wallabies, I mean, have we, oh, I don't even know. I mean, we haven't won a Bledisloe Cup in over 10 years. Yeah. Haven't won at, haven't won at Eden Park in over twenty five years, so it's a real. Um, it was a it was a really hyper successful, hyper competitive, and really enjoyable um, ecosystem <clears throat> for players and coaches. I think. Yeah. Wow. Sounds cool. I mean, that would be. Uh, yeah, that would have been our goal with the pathway in England. Really, you've got to think beyond. We're not producing Premiership players. We're producing players that go and smash it in the game of the future, that, you know, go and move the game forward, as lots of those players did. Um, how do you see that now? So what's, you know, so what's been your experiences around COVID more recently? So do you see that happening? Do you see that in Australia? Do you see that in Fiji? What's the, what's the stuff no, you want to do? I'll try and be diplomatic because I stay very connected to the Australian system, even though I work for Fiji and sometimes... Um, like the, yeah, maybe a couple of comments I've made have gotten up a few people's noses, but I mourn I mourn the coach the lack of coach development in Australia at the moment, um, and it's not just been recent; it's been for probably the last ten to fifteen years. Um, I reflect back on my time; there would have been myself, Wisey, any number. There would have been another ten guys that would have crawled over broken glass for an opportunity to coach professionally, um, and and that has just gone now. I mean, three of the four provinces in Australia have been this year were coached by foreign, by foreign coaches, and um, that's a that's just an anathema to in, in Australia. It's um, it, I mean, we're happy to have that in there, but what that's reflective of is just that there's not the guys coming through. <clears throat> I, I was talking to the guy in their coach ed department um, earlier this year. We held a level three course um, in Fiji. We have, we've got two on this year, and I said I was doing the numbers. I said, oh, we've got um, we'll, we'll probably get. 35 or 36 guys through over two years. And the Kiwi guy was there and he said, yeah, we do about 40 a year. And I turned to the Australian guy and I said, how many have you got? He said, Jeff, we haven't run a level three course in three years. Oh my God. And I, I just went, Ooh, okay. Wow. I mean, and, and, and I don't think that was his fault uh, to be honest. I think there's other factors there, but I, and I, and I don't know the full story. I, I, I just know that those are the numbers. <clears throat> and, and, um, I think that this, I think Australia is still grappling a little bit with the system, as, as many countries are in the world, frankly. I mean, I think the UK still is as well. But it, it, the, world, the world of rugby, the pace of change in professional rugby and the club country thing has changed so much that I think people are playing catch-up. And I, 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 it's my personal belief that, that now that we are, we are producing professional trainers, not professional players, and they come out of high school... Um, they're you know they, they're in Sam, a lot of our schools in Australia would be just like in, in in the UK where it's all laid on. I mean, coaches are getting paid massive money. I mean, they, they don't lack for anything, um, but they play about maybe ten proper games a year. Then they come out. They're scouted by an academy system. Um, they do a lot of training, but they and then and then they're fast tracked into an eighteens or a twenties program. And the one thing they lack is they they don't play club. They never play against men. Um, and I think that has a particular deleterious effect on type five players who, you know, I, I, I think there's something to be said for playing first grade Colts and, or second grade where you, you're a 21 year old or a 20 year old, 21 year old prop who's got the next big thing. And he's up against a 35 year old tight head who absolutely turns him inside out because that is the only way you learn. And, um, 
and I regret that now. I, I, I don't know if it can change. I think we can, I mean, as coaches, we've got to adapt to that change. But <clears throat> I, th- I think that's one of the reasons the New Zealand system continues to churn out quality is because I think their path, their pathway is, is probably, I mean, it's not, it's not perfect, but I, I think that it still meets their needs very much. Um, I mean, Australia is still wrestling with it massively. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, it, to be, I mean, I think it's done pretty well in lots of places in England with some of the young props. Actually, some of the challenges have been actually bringing them through too quickly against you know a top yeah. end level and significant injuries for those players. Uh, I was it was actually interesting. I was just on Twitter earlier, and uh, I think it's Ponsonby just tweeted. I think they got three All Blacks playing this weekend. They had Sunny Bill last weekend. Yeah, yeah, Sunny Bill last weekend. This weekend, I think he injured himself again, so that that wasn't great. But uh, yeah, I mean, and that's and that's awesome. I, I think that's awesome. And I think, but I think in the UK, I mean, my 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 observation would be at least those kids. Each club has their own academy, <clears throat> and then they can play club footy before they get into the international thing. I mean, in Australia, we've got four Super Rugby. I mean, well, we they have four Super Rugby teams, and 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 you know, they, 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 there's a national rugby championship, then there's club football and. And I, you know, there's not, there's never been a full commitment, I think, to what that next level looks like, and um, and whatever it looks like, I just think as a matter of principle, I, I think, um, yeah, kids, kids are trying to be, they're trying to go too fast, they're trying, and and their agents are pushing them, and 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 instead of just saying I'm going to do my time, I'm going to learn my trade, I, I, you know, I accept that I've got a lot to learn, and I need to skin my knees a bit, and that'll make, you know, I'll come out of the, you know, I'll come out of that furnace as really tempered steel, not, not just a kid looking for a paycheck, you know. Um, I think those are the kids that will have much more longevity to their careers and I think they'll become better people as a result. What are your experiences in Ireland? Because my observation is actually they do that pretty well in Ireland in terms of deciding. So some players, I think it was McGrath, was a rock star in the 20s, World Cup one year and everyone went, this guy's going to come through in the next six months and he didn't. They actually delayed it. He played some club football and then eventually came through probably a little bit later than he might have done in other countries, having had some experiences of, of, of playing a bit lower down. Yeah, I think they've got a... I was probably there just before they went fully pro, you know, that Pro 14 emerged. Um, I, I definitely think in that, in that culture, they, they, have, they pay more respect to guys that have done their time. So it's harder work for a younger bloke to get up. Um, and, and I can certainly, I, I guarantee you that that's the case in Fiji. I mean, in their mind, a, a 30-year-old inherently is better than a 20-year-old, at, 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 at no matter what, right? Which, which is a frustration. I, I actually, I remember um, I was coaching in, in Belfast and we played a game on Boxing Day and um, we were playing UCD. And they, they, I'd heard about, they said, they've got this young outside centre who's an absolute gun. And he, he, he scored three tries on us that day and it was Brian O'Driscoll. <laughs> and... Uh, he, he was as good as advertised at that age. And, and so, you know, I, 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 think, I think they've done a pretty, pretty reasonable job. I think their pathway system is pretty good at the moment. I, I think a lot of the I, – I, my sense is a lot of the, the European teams at the moment, maybe with the exception of Scotland, who we just beat in the, in the Junior World um, Cup, um, feel like they've got, it, you know, got a good thing going. Maybe the people leading them may not be perfect um, in the last 12 months, Rusty. But, um, yeah, but yeah, I, I – I, I, my sense is that uh, I, I mean everyone's sort of learning as they go. It's it's um, it's it's a fast-paced environment, and um, rugby I, I don't think moves as quickly as a business does as as I'm used to because um, 
there's more tradition, um, there's more stakeholders potentially, um, more politics involved as opposed to having a CEO who can just say, this is what we're doing, you know? I mean, this is what we need to do. Yeah, I would, um, just something mm. I've also been thinking about, so you spoke a bit about the professional trainers, speak to lots of professional players, you know, what percentage of your training is, is relatively easy, you can coast through it, you don't have to think, and uh, it's a very high percentage. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, the philosophy of the AIS of we're getting better every day would be, uh, would be a decent philosophy. What does it look like in Fiji? So you've, you've landed in Fiji. What, what have you seen? What have you experienced? What's the stuff you're thinking? Oh, wow, if only the rest of the world had this. <clears throat> well, they're unrestrained. Um, which is probably stating the obvious based on what you see. But let, I'll give you a bit of an indication. So rugby is not the national sport of Fiji. Um, sevens rugby is the national sport of Fiji. Um, there is a chronic lack of full fields here. Um, very, very few. And so most kids, when they grow up, are in small villages that have got um, a patch of dirt that would be no bigger than half a basketball court or maybe a basketball court. And that's, that's their field. And so inevitably, every day, at least once a day, they'll have a game of touch on that pitch. And then they'll turn it over later in the day and invite the girls and, and ladies to come in and they'll play volleyball on the same pitch. And so they, the environment demands that they have to play small-sided games um, and, and, I mean, Fiji touch, one touch, turnover, you know. So the, because of – and that's the nature of seven. So that's why we, we create unbelievable offloaders and we play through the line. We never, we don't ever play before the line. Um, but that, that's a good thing. That's also a negative because we, we turn over, we turn over a lot of ball. But um, it, it, it's it's amazing how environmental that is. They they play and 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 a lot of the time because we don't have season. I mean, we have wet season, dry season here, not not seasons themselves. And and they'll play the seven season is often through the wet season. So if people sort of wonder, geez, I mean, how good their handling is. I mean, it's that good when it's wet not just when it's dry. Yeah. Um, so they're used to all conditions. And um, they're a very, very resilient people. Um, they they live very humble. Um, they live in, in, it's a very poor country. It's a third world country um, um, that, that, is, that strives to be better. Um, but the, for the majority of people, I mean, literally the average salary of someone who has a job in Fiji would be 4,000 pounds, the average a year. And so they, they have to get by with not much. Um, they, they, they literally do play games of touch with a filled up Coke bottle filled with sand or dirt. That's, the, that's, the, that's it. So one thing I've learned is you don't need to have all of the bells and whistles as a program. Um, we've tried to upgrade our gyms to, because you, you probably do in a gym. But in terms of kit, equipment, how the training sessions are run, um, you, you can get by, I, I mean, I've learned that you can get by not much. And it was actually a life lesson that my family took, out, took away with them when they lived here with me for 12 months, that we stripped it right back when they went back to Australia. I mean, Chris, no Christmas presents, and they were very few. It was all about experiences, not gifts, and because that's just the Fijian way. They live for the day, not for next week. So um, I wouldn't say strategic planning is a forte here. Um, <laughs> So that's okay. That's part of the reason I'm here. But but that's also one of the beauties of the culture, um, Rusty. So, I mean, so on the rugby side, it, there's so much talent, so much talent. But because there's no fields, you know, uh, you know Wellington College, uh, we trained there last year or wherever. I mean, it was like they've got how many fields? So they've got, or, or Joey's in Sydney, they've got, they can go A's down to H's in each age group. Here, every school's got one team. Every club's got one team. Every 
province has got one team because they just don't have the fields to be able to play that many games. And so there's so much talent. Um, If it's not identified and selected, it's just sitting around wasting um, or they just play touch. I mean, it's, it is untapped. I mean, if I could, if I could do one, we yeah, one of the things I could do if I could make, wave a magic wand would be to, to, to try and get the government to just build, build more fields so they could, for more kids could play because as a national sport, a lot of kids and players don't play. Wow. It's, um, it's really quite, um, it's quite astonishing. As I mentioned to you earlier, it's, um, the culture is quite, it's driven by three things here. I mean, God and religion is absolutely number one. Um, it is, they don't, you've got to see it to believe it. I mean, I, I, I'm very privileged to sit in Team Lotus with the Flying Fijians and some of the other teams. And I, um, I mean, it, it really does drive their belief. Their belief um, really does drive what they do. I mean, they do believe that they're out there on the field um, and that, you know, I mean, I don't say this churlishly. They do believe that God is is driving the result um, and their performance on the field, um, and and that's um, that's something we try to you know the, the coaching staff try to tap into and and and, and utilise, I suppose. Um, so that's player driven. The other one is um, that most of them come from small villages, <clears throat> so community families very big. So you know, a lot of Fijian boys take take contracts in Europe. Um, the first contract, not the best contract, because they've got to look after their family. I mean, I'm dealing with that with a kid at the moment who was in our under-20s this year. He's, he's been offered a contract by a pro to dirt club that's terrible, and, it, and it'll be a poor environment for him, but he's going to take it because his family have said, you need to do this. And, um, I mean, he could be a kid that could be a flying Fijian captain in five years, six, ten years' time, and but equally because of the environment he's going into in France, he could easily not be playing at all in five years' time. Um, and then the other one is that, you know, there's a very strong military um, service element here to Fijian society, police, army, navy, corrections, fire. Um, they hoover up all of the talent. They offer scholarships and jobs to all of the, all of the best talent. So um, that, they're, the, they're the strongest club teams in Fiji are the service-based teams. And, and there's, there's definitely a lot of pros to that and there's some cons to that as well, which we need to navigate. But um, so, yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, was, Very male-dominated society. It's hard for women's rugby to get started, but um, there, there's a small core of that that I'm trying to drive at the moment. Um, we've got World Cup qualifiers later in the year. So um, I can't say enough about the, the support and funding we get from World Rugby. It really, it really does enable us to, to do some things here that uh, a relatively poor country like Fiji just could not do. Between World Rugby and the Fijian government, um, they've been, we, we wouldn't be doing anything. Yeah, I, remember, I was I was looking at a couple of things, the articles you'd done, and one of them spoke about definitely having at least one hand tied behind your back at times. Uh, I was reminded also of the so it was the semi-finals of the World Cup in Russia in 2013, and uh, there was a thunderstorm, and the game was called uh, called off. At the New Zealand Fiji semi-final was delayed, and uh, I think the Fijians went inside to see their coach, who was already inside, even though the game was going on because. So, as you, exactly as you say, well, I can't influence the results. God is going to make the decision, and if we lose, it's God's will. And if we win, then it's God's will as well. And I was, uh, even I'm, I'm pretty chilled on the side of the pitch, but there's a man there that's really chilled. I was, uh, I was loving it, if I'm honest. And so do you go, I mean, do you get to hang out? Do you go and watch some of this stuff on the pitches? Are you watching people going, wow, these, I mean... Uh, that's ridiculous. 
every weekend. <clears throat> I mean, at every level, at every weekend. I mean, it's um, as I mentioned. I mean, my to you earlier. My, my first year and my third year, I've done it without my family. They're back in Sydney, so I've got a lot of time on my hands to immerse myself in in my job and and go and watch games. So I went up to um, you know the the biggest school in Fiji happens to be up at Lundoni, which is two hours drive away in the middle of nowhere. And I went up and watched that, you know a couple of schoolboy games there just to do some talent ID. Um, get a bit, bit of a feel for it. I, you know, uh, I watched a second division provincial game yesterday, women's game a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot of footy that goes on um, here, and, and, and so there you just you can't help but marvel at a the talent and b how untapped it, it still is. I mean, I'll, I'll at whatever time I walk away from Fiji, I'll, I'll have you know I'll, I'll have a mountain of regret about what I haven't been able to yet influence. Um, but it's a big, it's a big, it's a big gig. I mean, there's um, there's a lot to do, a lot that can be done here. I mean, there's a lot of things that would supercharge that. I mean, the nations championship concept would have been amazing for us. I mean, we would definitely would have been the biggest winners out of that. Um, I understand why maybe Scotland and Italy might have been a bit nervous about that and and, and probably ultimately vetoed that. But <clears throat> that would have been amazing. A team in Super Rugby would be amazing. I mean, we having a professional or full time team on the island. Would, would be unbelievable for Fiji. Um, Tonga and Samoa are in a much tougher situation because we've got 900,000 people in Fiji. It's not a big population, but they've only got sort of two or 300. Most of their populations actually live in Auckland. So, um, so I mean, we've got a naturally, yeah, a natural advantage over, yeah, amongst the Pacific Islands um, that, that could be utilised if the opportunity arose. Um, so, you know, I mean, we'll see what happens now in the world of rugby, now that, that that's been killed off. What are, you, uh, what are your thoughts around the World Cup? So, obviously, you get an extended period of time, hopefully on a full-size pitch, to allow you to develop some more tactical stuff. Um, what have you, I mean, clearly there's a big win in the autumn against France. Um, lots of Fijian players doing lots of cool stuff all over the world, get assembled, thrown back together. It looks like they've started on the dunes. Um, yeah. It sounds like uh, some of them are... Uh, hitching lifts with you in your van. Um, what uh, what does that look like? What does that feel like at the moment? Well, we, yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, we've just finished the first week of our of our World Cup campaign. So, seventy seven days to go until we play the Wallabies. I'm I'm counting that down. Oh, I've got wow. a, I've got I've got that I've got that on my calendar. That particular game is very very much. That's my game. Um, That's for the Wallabies. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So we look we. We don't delude ourselves. I mean, we, we go in as underdogs um, in our pool. Um, yeah, we played the Wallabies two years ago. They beat us 38-17. Um, we beat Scotland in 17 and Ireland in 17, but then they beat us the next time around. So we're, we don't have the consistency of performance that, that a team that plays 12 or 13 tests a year has and that has all of their players in a handful of clubs. As you mentioned, I mean, we've got, we've got, we've got guys... I mean, out of our squad of 42 at the moment, they'd be in 25 different environments around, around the country, um, five, um, seven or eight of which are still here on the island. So we're, we're doing a good job of starting to produce some, some on-island talent there. But, um, we, yeah, we, we just suffer. Um, yeah, we, we get the two the June and uh, November regulation assembly period, so we get six tests a year. We have a Red 9 camp in Toulouse, and you, you can't pull – you can't – reasonably expect to pull a team together in two days and then, a, and then a, a shortened training week and then go to Murrayfield and expect to do well. And, and last year, we, 
you know, we, we, we should have been up at half time and then they put 30 points on us in the second half. I mean, it was just a, that's just a function of, of the environment. We think that we, you know, with the World Cup, the, the playing field gets level because we, we do have 12 weeks, 12 or more weeks together that we can get, get it together. Um, we've put a pretty good program of tests in place. I mean, we have six tests in the lead up to, to, to the World Cup. The Wallabies have, have got five, for example. So, I mean, we need game time. Um, so we're, we, we're, we think we've got a pretty good plan. I mean, John McKee's, you know, he's a, he's a good coach. He's, he's, he's thought out. He, he and the coaching staff have, have, have got a good plan in place. We're going to be governed by how well the team gels. We're going to be governed by injuries because we don't have the same depth in some key positions. But equally, we've got some depth in key positions that some other teams would envy. I mean, I, I would say that in Pathelliato, Bill Marta, Leone Nakarawa, Semi Randradra, Josh Tuasova, I mean, they, there's five guys that I'd argue at the moment are, if they're not the best in their position in the world, they'd certainly be top three. <clears throat> um, so really the challenge is to try and keep them injury-free fit and, and, and um, you know, if we can go in as fit as we want to be to play a ball-in-play ball style, which is our style, then we think we can do, we can, we can surprise a few people. Um, we'll see. We'll see. We're, but we're cautiously optimistic um, that we've got a plan in place that, that will see us be very competitive at the World Cup. Lots of scrums and line-outs being practised at the moment, I would imagine. Uh, no, uh, not yet. No, not yet. I mean, we've got a guy, a scrum coach called Grumpy Muir, and literally he, that, yeah. nickname is not, that nickname is not ironic. He is one of the world's <laughs> grumpy. He, he seems to only love front rowers, I've, I've learned. And that's okay. When, you, when he's your scrum coach, that's not a bad thing. But he's done, he's done wonderful things for Fijian um, scrum, scrummaging. I mean, he's turned us from being arguably a laughing stock and an easy, an easy penalty or pushover to where we've got guys now that are, I mean, we can hold our own. I mean, we, we play Georgia just about every second year and, 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 and I think they're the best scrum in the world and we more than hold our own against them. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, so, I mean, that's been, you know, I, I, think, I, think, I think we've patched up some of the areas we've been deficient. Um, I think the coaching staff are doing a good job of trying to open the game up so that we can play. I mean, and one of the things, I, I, as I, I said to you earlier, um, when our guys talk to them at half time or they talk about situational, they'll, they'll talk about some game plan situations and they'll just, and then they'll stop and they'll just go, when we get to this point, just play. And that's, and, and they don't want to, so they're, they're mindful of not constraining, putting uh, a tier one white man's game plan onto a Pacific Island team that is renowned for its free flowing attack. So it's really, it's trying to create a fine balance there between providing some, some structure or a framework, as you guys like to call it. Um, oh, but, uh, yeah. I'm happy with framework. Thanks, that enables, that enables the guys to express themselves the way they want. Yeah, and you've got lots of strengths that a, a well-designed framework will bring to life. As you just mentioned some names there. I mean, if, imagine, I mean, Nakarawa would be... He's the, he's the second row of the future and has been the second row of the future for about a decade. He has. I think Yato, I've spent the week with them and I'm astonished at Patheliato. I think he is, um, from, um, for those who don't know, he's at, he's oh, at he's Claremont. He's back rower, isn't he? He's at Claremont. He is an absolute beast. Um, yeah. My goodness. Joe Alab. I said to Joe Alab, who's, the, who, who's going to surprise people at the World Cup? And Joe's co was coaching in Castro and he said, that's who he said. And I had to Google him and look at his highlights and go, 
Yeah, he's pretty decent. Fair play, Joe. Good spot. I mean, actually, so do you have a lot of... So when you go and watch a game, will you bump into agents or people from other countries? Because clearly there's a, there's a lot of Fijian guys playing rugby in France. Yeah, there are. It's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty nefarious, I have to say, Rusty. They, the, the agents don't really come. There's only a, a handful of guys that will come through the front door to us. Um, I've got a guy, uh, you know, a former flying Fijian who's running the academy for me here and he does a great job uh, building a dollar. And we've expanded our academy system from 23 to 90 because it's just, it's, I mean, for us, it's a, without compromising the quality, but for us, it's a numbers game because we get a lot of guys. Out of our 20s last year, we, we would have had seven or eight picked off. Um, three or four went to Japan. I mean, Japan are really on a bit of a, a Pacific Islander recruiting surge at the moment. France, rugby league. So, I mean, we are, as I said, because most talent, most PI talent, you know, we're the only country that's got most of its players still here um, rather than Auckland. Um, we're a bit of a honeypot, I think, for, for agents. And, and the boys are so naive and their families are so poor that it's, it's not difficult for, for someone who's a bit unscrupulous to stick a, a contract in French in front of them and, just, and they just see the number of euros and go, yeah, I'll sign. And, and it really does. I mean, and there's, you know, the Pacific Rugby Players and the Players Associations they have to work hard to try and provide a lot of um, pastoral care for, for, for Pacific Island boys in France because they're at, they, don't have, they can't speak the language. They're out of their communities. They're, they're, they're missing their, their religious beliefs. They've got no family. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really, really tough for them. So our boys thrive when they can go to a club that's got a number of other Fijian boys. So, I mean, even in the UK, I, I, I was sort of mentioning on, online the other day, I was staggered that Harlequins and Falcons are the only clubs in, in UK that, that have gone after Fijians. And I know that the, the, the barrier to entry on test caps is high, but there's guys that could definitely meet that bar, but they just don't seem to go after them. Whereas I'll give Scott Johnson a bit of credit when he was at Scotland. He and, he, you know, he, he and his recruiting guy were in, in contact with me a fair bit. And Marta's there, Nax was there. Matawalu's there. They've just signed um, our, under, our fine Fijian hooker. So they've been much more proactive. And, and that's good. I mean, we think that that's very good for our boys when they... We, would, we wouldn't encourage a boy, a, a kid to go to a club that there were no other Fijians there or Pacific Islanders because it really, really... They, they, they're a very communal race of people. I mean, uh, you know, maybe you and I might go up to our rooms and, and sit on, on the computer or watch Netflix or whatever. The boys... They'll go in, like I'll go into a team room or, a, you know, or, or, or an individual's room and there'll be eight or ten of them all lying all over each other, like yeah. just laughing and chatting. I mean, it, the, the, that's the village coming out. You know, they, they thrive on that. And, and, and it's, the, the onus is on us to try and create an environment that still creates that. So, I mean, for example, our, our team room here um, in Suva at the moment has got, we've, we removed all the chairs. used to and we're trying to reconnect the guys who are coming back from Europe to Fijian culture yeah so um, yeah I mean that would be um, even just some of the videos that have been on around the sevens of their recovery sessions where people are hugging in a pool and they're singing and it would look pretty weird to most uh, to most uh, English rugby players that's what that's what they do that's what we do here it, it is it's amazing. They will. Oh, I mean, some of the games of footy here are brutal. 
physically brutal. But I've never, I've only ever seen in two and a half seasons, I've seen one punch, and they just bash each other, and then afterwards they'll hug each other. They'll all get together. They'll all pray. They'll all sing a song. It is amazing um, how fraternal it, it is. I mean, they they view it as combat, but as soon as the game's over, it's they are brothers. Wow. Okay, last thing I want to talk about. I want to talk about your experiences of being a dad and uh, coaching kids because I know we spoke briefly about it before and lots of our listeners are, are doing that. I've been experiencing that. I've, I've had some great times. I've had some, some pretty tough times, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. w- w- what's that been like? Clearly, you've, you've been away a bit, but when you're back and doing a bit of coaching with the kids, have, have your experiences been back over in Australia? Be, well, di- I, I, be diplomatic. <laughs> no, I will. I will. I well. Firstly, whenever when I get you know once a month to go back, I, my wife has 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 locked me into every possible commitment that she possibly can um, <laughs> with the kids' sport. But I love it. I love it. And so look, I um, and I my I got into coaching. I mean, if I go back to my brother's team, I mean, I, the whole reason for me getting into coaching and doing coaching is because I really I want I wanted the kids, whether they're my kids or other kids to have the best possible experience, to have fun, to improve as players. And just for that hour on that training or that game, they can go, you know, I, I love that. I, I, um, and, and yeah, because there are a lot of coaches out there that don't think that way and certainly don't create that experience. And I, um, you know, over, over time, I, I, I increasingly have seen um, a lot of, coaches and a lot of parents who, who in my mind are doing what they're doing for themselves not for the participants um and i think that would be a good question to ask i mean yeah are you doing you know i i, I was i sent an email like my coach is under my son's under 12 afl team i wanted to do a video review and he sent an email out to the parents asking permission i went back to him i said i'm okay with it but can i make a suggestion and just say Get the kids to review themselves. Put the video up and you guys don't say anything. Like, see what they say. And then have you thought about putting a video on you guys so that you're reviewing yourselves? And I never got a response. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I suspect that that didn't go down all that well. But, but oh, I think that that's, um, and, oh, yeah, maybe it's a bit of a service thing. But <clears throat> um, if you're doing it for the right reasons, I mean, then, then fun safety becomes number one. I mean, results become you know, superficial. And, there was something I think you posted on Twitter the other day about tell me, you know, I'll tell you how good I was as a coach in 20 years' time when I see how the kids wow. turn out. And, and that's what, But I, I think that coach education is really missing a trick um, in a lot of sports at the moment. I, I know that, you know, you know, there's a lot of good stuff happening in hockey in Great Britain at the moment um, with that. And, and, and obviously what you guys are doing at the Magic Academy, I mean, to, to use a, a rustyism fuels my biases there. So, um, <clears throat> but I, I think... That, there is a massive, massive hole um, in what I see uh, a little bit in Fiji, certainly when I go back to Australia, that um, there's a missing link in coach and parental education about, about why we're doing what we're doing and how to behave and how to structure, um, how to structure, or in many cases, not structure sessions. Yeah. Um, it's it's it, yeah. I, I get I get very emotional and passionate about it because I've I've had a lot of experience, personal experience with it with my own kids. Um, particularly while I've been away, I, I sort of feel a, a lot of guilt. That I mean, if if I was there, my wife would hate me saying this, but if literally if I was there, I'd be coaching every single team. I think that 
my kids were playing in and not because I've got any ego about coaching or that, but it's just that like I know that um, kids, kids love playing um, in teams that I coach and, uh, and that's, and that, and that transcends that, that goes up to <clears throat> coaching great men at, at grade or even international teams. It's, you know, I think you, the reason you, I think we've got to remember why we started playing and we played it to play with our mates and to have fun. And it only became about winning um, when you got a bit more serious and you want, and you made a choice as a player to, to make it serious, not because a coach told you that we have to beat these so-and-sos this weekend, you know? Yeah, a couple of things. One is, I love, I mean, the Crusaders' philosophy would be tran- transformational. It would transcend winning and they win a lot of games. They, they would talk about we're having serious fun. Um, and... Uh, yeah, the stuff I did the other day with Elsa, where I just said, look, write down how you would want the adults to behave. I just think that should be normal. Just side of every pitch, kids have written down how they want the adults to behave and, and off you go, adults. And if, they, and if the kids have said, you know, we want you to stand on the pitch and shout and tell us what to do, then, then go for your lives. I'm pretty sure they won't. And I think, and I don't, I just think that there's a disconnect. <coughs> Pardon me. I, I, it's not because I think young coaches. I, I think I think dads and mums, you know, get into it probably for the right reasons, but they just don't know. They they, they haven't been shown what's possible, and and you know, they, and like I mean, I don't know what you like. I mean, you know, often most coaches go into it and they start coaching the way that they were coached, or the way they liked to be coached, and or or what they think is good coaching, and and they miss they miss the point completely. And um, so you know, for me, if I was, I don't know, in Australia, it's probably the same in. I know it is in New Zealand, probably the same in the UK. You have to do a smart rugby accreditation every year so that, you know, that, you know you, you're, you're coaching safely. Well, that's, that's good and necessary and that's physical, but there's, I'd argue that there's a, a role to be played to have the same thing done so that at the start of every year, just you know, there's a, a refresher just to say, just remember the, when you're doing your plans, when you're doing your communication, just remember the impact that you're having and, and here's a few friendly reminder tips about how to, how to engage with your, with your team because I think they just need to have their eyes open more, more than anything else. A lot of these. When you were speaking earlier, I loved your, your, your top three things in a session were what? Safety, fun and skill development. And winning was fourth. Yeah. I didn't even, I never talked about it. Never, never ever. It was, um, why I, I, Wayne Bennett, um, the famous rugby league coach here, I, I sat with him one time and he just said, um, he said, Jeff, look, there's 16 teams in the competition. I mean, yeah, you can't expect to win every season. So my goal is I just want to be competitive. If we're competitive, we'll get to the finals and then it's a different, it's game on from there. But, um, and so I think if you, you know, if your team, I mean, I don't think anyone likes to be in a losing team. I, I, yeah. So I, I think that there is in the background a component of making sure that you are, you're doing the right thing to, to put a team on the park every week, but the players should never feel that. I mean, that should just be a function of everything else that you're doing, not the driver of everything that you're doing. Yeah. So, I, and I've, I've become much harder on, on that as I've gotten older and as I've had kids. Um, I find that it's the parents, you know, I, I, it's my experience that dads that have played at any sport at the highest level are the ones that are least likely to be full on on the sideline because they know what it's like to have an asshole of a coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, they've all had one. I've had a few. 
Mate, I'm going to finish with a few warm worders. Uh, I've been trying to think of a few as we've gone through. Um, let's see, let's see how, how well I've done. Uh, snooker. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you the word bullying. And the re let me give you a quick aside there, right? Yeah, there was a couple of boys at Desborough College that were the hard nuts, right? They were skinheads. They were hard, hard nuts. And I went away on when when I said yes to one of the trips away. We were up at Ross Igualia up in Wales and doing outdoor ed. And, and we were staying at a place that had a pool table. And these two kids were bullying everyone. And they were hard. They, like, you wouldn't mess with them. And they, they wanted to play a game of snooker. And I teamed up with one of them. And because I could play, we won. And I had his protection forever from that moment on. It was amazing. I mean, I loved the game, but I, I never loved it as much as I did on that particular day. <laughs> I was at Rangers and they got a table tennis table and they're getting the kids to get good at table tennis because the first team have one in their change room and they want them to be able to go and do that, to go and you know, earn some respect from uh, their ability on the table tennis table. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Coaching. Passion. Coach development. Lacking. <laughs> Fiji. So Fiji? Fiji, yeah, Fiji. The people. Australia. Underachieving. Yeah, I'm with you on that. AIS. Apprenticeship. Billy Matter. Genius. Ben Ryan. Uh, brother in arm. Ginger. <laughs> um, which one am I going to do before it? Uh, rugby. Yeah. Joy. Family. Everything. I knew you'd say everything. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved it. Uh, thanks for getting up so early to hang with me. Um, uh, I'm happy to do it, mate. Happy to do it. I mean, there's a whole other one we could have. I'd love to talk to you about um, gamification and stuff. You know, we'd be at another one or, or offline because I, I think the stuff that you're doing there and the, and the links into Fortnite and, you know, and, and making, making coaching relevant to, to the audience. So I think there's a lot to commend it. So um, I think you and um, Fletch and whoever the magic stick is yeah. um, are doing, are doing great, great stuff. I've got to get you down to the Southern Hemisphere, mate. I think you, you guys are very much needed. Yeah. Your style, what you do is needed. Yeah, next so we'll, time we're gonna. I've got. I'm just touching base. So I'm gonna definitely do New Zealand, and I'm keen to tag on a bit of a, a bit of Fiji on the way as well. But uh, mate, look, I'm really excited to see you guys at the World Cup. I know it's gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be all action, and I'm. Yeah, it's 77 days is it? 77. 77, mate. I can't wait. Look, have a great day today, uh, and we'll catch up soon. Thank you, mate.